touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Everyone and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland, and I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And boy, these podcasts just fly by. And today we're going to talk about flying cars. <laughs> I was wondering if I could get a chuckle. I was getting, I was getting the grin. Okay, so uh, I, tr- I try not to encourage him, guys. Uh, it's too late. It's, it's I have well past the age where that can ever be changed. So we really did want to talk about flying cars. It's one of those subjects I can't believe we haven't really talked about on tech stuff before. Uh, but it's one of those things that you know, it's the the, the typical. If this is the future, where's my flying car? Where's my jetpack where, and flying car? Why aren't my meals in pill form? It's because jetpacks and flying cars are really dangerous. Yeah, they're not practical very much. And, uh, or at least not yet. And uh, they're really tricky to do in a way that is safe. You know, even if you're talking about completely automating it, and we're going to talk about some cars where they're taking that approach, where they're making it as automated as possible. It's, you know, it's there's a lot of logistics to work through. I mean, just imagine, like in my neighborhood alone, if I had a flying car and it was all automated and everything and it could detect other flying cars, I still have to worry about things like, power lines and yeah. trees. And we, we don't have autonomous cars that go on a two-dimensional plane yet. Yeah. So, I mean, adding that third dimension is is more complicated than it probably sounds. So the flying car, I mean, obviously that's been something in science fiction. Uh, what might surprise you is how old the concept of a flying car is. It did not take very long after the invention of both cars and planes, for someone to say, hey, wouldn't it be awesome if a car was also a plane? Uh, so back in 1885, that's when you get your first gasoline-powered automobile, which was invented by a fellow named Carl Friedrich Benz, mm-hmm. as and, in Mercedes-Benz. And then in 1903, we had the first flight of the Wright brothers. Right, which, depending upon your view of history, was the first, you know, uh, uh, solid, like, heavier than air flight. Uh, there's definitely some debate there, but generally there's some speaking, contention in the historical ranks. Yeah, but ge- generally speaking, people say 1903 first flight. At any rate, it was right around that time. So 1885 was the first gasoline powered automobile. Keep in mind that there were other types of uh, automobiles, steam powered, electric powered ones. Uh, but gasoline powered started in the late 19th century. Early 20th century, you get the Wright brothers. So how long did it take before someone came up with an idea of making a car slash plane? 1917. 1917. 14 years after the Wright brothers flew, someone says, you Clearly, know awesome? these two things can be combined. <laughs> right. This is the chocolate and peanut butter of the technological age. They must become one. And that person was uh, Glenn Curtis. He created the Curtis Autoplane. The, the names of these things, by the way, are my favorite. That yes, this is, they really only get better. Yeah, it's sort of like what you encounter when you when you look at steampunk, where people come up with the most creative, uh, uh, goofy, goofy like like elaborate names. So the the Curtis Autoplane wasn't really a true flying car in what we would think of today, right? It didn't look like a car that could suddenly take off and. You, you wouldn't hear, have Doc Brown say where we're going, we don't need roads, and then you have the big Back to the Future music come up. It's, it looked more like a plane that you could sort of drive around if you needed to. Um, so it was a, a plane, a small plane, relatively small plane, with a 40-foot wingspan. That's which about is, 12.2 meters. Thank you very much. 
And uh, it had a rear-mounted four-bladed propeller. So the propeller's on the back of the plane instead of on the front of it, which is fairly common in a lot of the designs we'll be talking about today. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, but, but it never really flew, did no, it? No, it just kind of hopped off the ground a couple times, never really caught flight. So if you ever watch any of those... Kind of like a toddler going, I'm flying, <laughs> and just of. sort of jumping really high. Yeah, if you look at any of those old-timey movies where people were working on the early, early versions of airplanes, and you see lots of planes that get a little bit off the ground and then immediately come right back down. That's kind of what this thing did. It never it never attained true flight. To be fair, at the time, I think that a lot of uh, especially kind of hobbyist created planes, exactly, we're just, you know, we're really just hopping. Yeah, so yeah. that probably wasn't terrible for... No, for a first attempt at making a car that was also a plane, not bad. Not great, but not <laughs> bad. Uh, and it would take another 20 years before someone would create something similar uh, at least according to all the research I was doing, there probably were other people, hobbyists, mechanics, engineers who were trying to do this sort of thing. Uh, but not all of their attempts have been recorded for posterity's sake. But in 1937, Waldo Waterman created the Aerobile or Aerobill or Aerobilly. Anyway, it's, <laughs> it was it was a Studebaker, which, uh, as we all know from the Muppet movie, is a bear's natural habitat. So Studebaker, not if you were to look at a picture of a Studebaker, I don't think the first thing that you would think is that looks like that sucker could fly through the air. <laughs> and yet Waldo Waterman was determined. Yeah, this one was that was a three wheeled car. Yeah. Um, but the wheels were detachable. Yeah, well, it had detachable wheels uh, and a rear-mounted propeller, and it never ended up getting uh, uh, sufficient funding. The wings itself were also detachable. That's also a very common thing in a lot of these early designs where, you know, you would take all the parts that you didn't need off for it to be a car. Mm-hmm. And then once you got to wherever Store you Store them in get, a very large trunk and right. then... Uh, yeah, or, or a trailer that you would tow behind the car, mm-hmm. get to wherever you're going, like whatever airstrip you're going to. And put your plane together. Yeah, you'd actually have to assemble it, and then it would be a plane. So it wasn't- Which is something that is very worrying for me, I have to say, guys. Yeah. I, I, I personally do not have the kind of engineering background to really feel comfortable flying in something that I have just built. Yeah, can you imagine looking into the trailer and you seeing like three or four just random nuts and bolts in there and think, eh, it's good enough. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's because it, it could be like going to Ikea. Like and Ikea, you, yeah, right? You put your furniture together and you're like, there's uh, always a few spare bits. I and you're like, well, it didn't say there were spare bits, but I could have sworn I followed the instructions. Yeah, that was sort of what these early uh, flying cars were like, too. So really, you're going to notice while we talk about this for these early ones, it's going to sound more and more like it was a plane that could be converted into a vehicle that could travel on roads. That's the case for most of these early ones. Uh, 1946, Robert Edison Fulton Jr., a distant relative to another Fulton we talked about in how steam engines work. The, uh, the steamboat, the steamboat Fulton. Yeah. So steamboat Fulton was not, he was not a direct descendant of uh, Robert Fulton, the steamboat engineer. Uh, Robert Fulton, I believe, had one son who never had any kids, but several daughters. But obviously, you wouldn't have the last name Fulton through that line. So we're talking like a cousin distantly related in that but, sense. But still. Uh, his dad was a friend to a certain Thomas Edison, which is why 
Robert he had Edison, the Edison. Fulton had mm-hmm. yeah had the Edison in his name. Um, yeah, I, I would guess that if it were Robert Nikola Fulton, we would all be just fawning over him because of Tesla's. Oh right, I forgot to I forgot to say status. boo when we yeah. when we said Edison there. Yeah, I My know bad. we both lost some geek cred there. I think anyway, his version was uh, a, a an aluminum body car that had detachable fabric wings to turn it into a light plane. And it also had a detachable propeller that would serve as propulsion. And they built four prototypes, but it never went into production. Um, and the following year, 1947, Consolidated Volte developed the Convair car, which was a two-door sedan with detachable airplane unit. So in this case, it's like an entire kind of airplane kit that you could fit on top of this car. Uh, and, and they had some success, at least. Well, they had limited early success with their with their tests, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. They they had two successful tests. Um they had two successful tests and proved that it could it could fly for about an hour and travel at around forty five miles per hour or seventy two kilo or I'm sorry, not forty five miles per hour. It could travel a total distance of forty five miles or seventy two kilometers uh on a gallon of gas. But Which uh, is pretty good. Yeah, so two two successful I test it's flights. Going pretty slow. But uh, unfortunately the third flight not so successful. Less successful? Hmm. Yeah. And that, uh, that they was were, pretty much the end of the project. Right. They were trying to get some marketing dollars behind it after the crash. That was a complete disaster for them. And it was, uh, it was scrapped. They decided not to go forward with it. Uh, 1949, Moulton B. Taylor builds the Aero Car, which was actually inspired by Robert Edison Fulton Jr.'s design. Uh, it also had detachable wings and a, a detachable tail. So that you could stash those in a in a trailer. Yep, yep. This is one of those that you would put all those parts in a trailer, tow it to the airport, then take everything out, assemble it on the car. And according to the Wall Street Journal, a practiced owner could assemble the aero car from into flying form within ten minutes. It only I, takes you ten minutes to turn it into a, an airplane. I can't assemble a microwave dinner in ten minutes. <laughs> I don't. I, I certainly, anyone who watched me play Minecraft knows <laughs> 10 minutes is not enough time for me to assemble anything. Uh, um, this was another tail end propeller, yep, right? Yep. And it looks like a mini car and only six were ever built. In fact, one of them I think was, uh, current, was on the market recently for just over like a million dollars or something. Like it actually looks very, uh, quaint. Like it looks like a, a quaint little antique car. That for some reason has had an airplane tail uh, <laughs> merged onto the end of it and wings that sprout out of it. Uh, so yeah, that you, cute. But, but if you if you you could easily imagine removing those and it would look like a little more or less car. like a car. Yeah. Hmm. So this one was more of a car, although again you could not you know effortlessly convert to flying form, which is really what we're going for here, right? We want a car that you could drive on the streets and then when traffic is getting really badly, you, you push press a button, a button and yeah. it transforms. Like in an anime. And it would be a while, and still would will be a while, before we'd see something like that. Uh, so 1965, Paul Mahler introduces the XM2. Now, Mahler will be... We'll, we'll go ahead and tell Mahler's story. It's kind of a, a disappointing story. But the XM2 was the first prototype of his sky car concept. Uh, that one would hover, but he couldn't get it to fly. So he would continue to, re, uh, to kind of refine this design... Uh, and in 1989, so 1965 was the first one, 1989, he introduces the M200X, which could fly at an altitude of about 15 meters or around 50 feet. 
And then he would later introduce the Skycar M400, which is a vertical takeoff and landing aircraft, VTOL, vertical takeoff or landing, really, uh, which could reach speeds, theoretically, of 400 miles per hour or 644 kilometers per hour. What? But the cruising speed, yeah. The, can you imagine your average motorist controlling a vehicle traveling traveling at that speed? I literally cannot. Have a cruising speed. Now, that was the top speed. The cruising speed was 350 miles per hour. Oh, or, oh well, that's much better. Yeah, or 563 kilometers per hour. Fuel for the vehicle included simple, simple household items. <laughs> Gasoline was one. Diesel, okay. Alcohol, okay. Kerosene and propane. All at the same time. Yeah, well, it's, you know, because it was using some pretty powerful A specific engines, mixture, yeah. sure, yeah, sure. So, which, which also, yeah, exactly. The average motorist just has those lying around. Right, exactly. You know, you can just go to one filling station and find all of those. Some filling stations you might, but not many. Uh, it had a range of about 900 miles, which is about 1,450 kilometers. Uh, is is that the same as its car mode range? Uh, no. <laughs> no, its car mode it had a mileage of 20 miles per gallon or 32.2 kilometers per gallon. I know really usually you do liters per kilometer, but there's only so much conversion I can do, guys. Uh, I have to apologize for my Americanness. Yeah. But uh, the initial price for the M400 was quoted to be a million smackaroos, one million bucks. But uh, the promises of Mueller never quite panned out. So in 2003, they did a demonstration where the M400 hovered, but it hovered on a tether, like it was tethered to the ground. It did not fly. Um, so it wasn't really awe-inspiring or giving a lot of people confidence in the project. And in fact, by 2009, they still didn't have a flying car to show off, and Mahler ended up filing for personal protection under Chapter 11, as in bankruptcy. Uh, It turned out, apparently, the company had spent something like $100 million over 40 years trying to get this flying car design to work, and it had not happened. Hundred million bucks. Wow. So, yeah, it was definitely a tough, tough story. Now, Mahler, while he filed for protection under Chapter 11, the company, Mahler International, is still, from what I understand, still operating in a very limited capacity. So the company didn't go away, but Mahler certainly had to uh, look for some financial protection after, after just not being able to turn this around. Yeah. Uh, now that leads us up to the last one we're going to talk about before our break. Uh, it dates back to 2001, the Skyrider X2R. So this one's designed by Macro Industries Incorporated, and it's another VTOL type of vehicle. And this one uses ducted fans as propulsion instead of propellers. So uh, it kind of looks like, like a casual glance, you would look and say, oh, those are turbines, but they're not actually turbines. So it's a, a round casing, on the inside of this casing is a fan blade, and those fans turn and provide the lift, and you can uh, tilt the ducts in different directions so that you can do the vertical takeoff and landing or tilt them forward so that you get that forward propulsion. Like a, like a hover carrier. That yeah, you mm-hmm. it's a little hover carrier thing. <laughs> uh, according to the website, uh, they were the car would have lots of dynamic routing information, so it would allow it to plan out a route that would keep it clear from the pathway of other flying car motorists, because uh, they, they actually said their goal is to make the flying car a reality for the average consumer. But of course, you know, to you and I, we just sit there and think about Atlanta traffic right now. Just imagine the traffic that's passing past our building Right now. Sometimes you guys can hear it. I know you can. Well, imagine all of that traffic in the air. 
That's kind of terrifying. Completely terrifying. Although by 2001, certainly we were starting to get into computer systems that would at least help you detect some of that right, a little bit. Right. So the idea is that it would have a lot of automated systems to help prevent collisions, to help you plan a flight path that wouldn't put you across someone else's flight path. Uh, you know, and of course, as technology has advanced, we've got better with like collision detection and prevention, that kind of stuff. Automated systems that can take over in case uh, a manual accident is about to happen. So things have gotten to the point where you could kind of see a reality here, but at 2001, so, that's kind of early. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I, I, I heard a little bit about this, and it sounds like a kind of solid plan. Where did, did, did this one actually happen? Uh, they said that the first models of this car would be available within five years of the project receiving adequate funding. As far as I can tell, the project has yet to receive what they call adequate funding. So uh, that five years is kind of the perpetual five years off from now, just like most uh, technological advances are 10 to 40 years away. Uh-huh. And it's it's always going to be 10 to 40 five. years away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Now, maybe they'll end up getting enough funding where they'll become a real player in the space. But as far as I can tell, it's kind of one of those vaporware type things. And was this another one that was more more like an aircraft that drives than a... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it looks more like a plane than it does a car. It looks like a it looks like a plane that's small enough when everything folds up for it to fit into your garage as opposed to a car that can turn into a flying machine. It looks like a plane that can be driven on the roads. Uh, right, right. Not the kind of thing that you'd expect to take out uh, onto the highways right. and drive around in traffic. Right, right. But we do have a few of those that we want to talk about. And before we do that, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. All right, so we're back. Now, the next car on our list is one of my favorites because it's so different from all the other ones we've been mentioning so far. Like all the ones we've talked about, either had some sort of uh, VTOL system where they were going to hover and take off and then fly forward. Oh, right, which I'm actually kind of impressed by. I, I think that a, that a VTOL would be a little bit more difficult to engineer and therefore... Yeah, it's got some challenges, but it would, assuming you could get it to work, it'd be way easier for your average driver, right? Because it wouldn't mean that you wouldn't have to go find a long an flat... Yeah, yeah, an airstrip so that you could get up to enough speed to get lift and then take mm-hmm. off. This would allow you to much lift more convenient. From, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're at a standstill. You lift up. You fly off uh, where you want to go. I, I think you'd need to be at a standstill with some, you know, like hundred feet of clear space around you, so that you didn't, you know, destroy your and surrounding. My precision is amazing. <laughs> I'm fully confident I could take off from like a crowded parking lot with m- tiny scratches, maybe. Uh, so we're talking about now the Parajet Skycar. And the Parajet Skycar is one of my favorites. Parajet, you kind of get the feeling here. There's a parasail or a parachute that is attached to essentially a dune buggy. So <laughs> it looks like something that came out of Mad Max, right? Like, you know, you, you could take this to the Thunderdome in style. And um, and it has this parasail that you can deploy, and on the very back of the dune buggy is an enormous fan. So it looks a lot like uh, like, like like one of those Everglades fan uh, boats, fan yeah, boats, yeah, yeah. Okay. the kind that Archer likes. Uh, yeah, exactly. It'd be one of those. So it's this dune buggy with the fan on the back and the parasail that you deploy. And the way it works is that you would, if you wanted to actually fly, you would take the parasail part out, lay it behind the car. 
start up your fan, and then start driving. And once you hit about 37 miles per hour or 60 kilometers per hour, you would have enough lift there from the parasail to lift off the ground and use the fan to control your pitch and your roll. That sounds so terrifying, but wonderful. The videos of this thing, I absolutely adore. Now, granted, again, you don't have any wings, so it's not like a, you know, air- airplane slash car. This is a car that has a parasail and a propeller on it. That's pretty much what you're talking about. It, uh, th- it sounds like it would still count as a, as a light sport vehicle. Yes, yes. You would have to have or light a light sport aircraft. Yeah, you'd have to have a light sport aircraft piloting license to, to be able to fly this legally. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously there, in fact, a lot of the ones we're going to talk about, the earlier ones we were talking about never really got beyond prototype or concept. So it was kind of a... Right, right. They never had to think about this kind of thing. Also, I'm sure that the regulations of the FAA were a lot lighter when the FAA didn't exist. So there's some... That probably helped. The next one we'll talk about has kind of a very, uh, blasé attitude about air regulations, but I'll, I'll mention that when we get into it. So this one, you would actually have to have a pilot's license to operate in flying mode. Uh, but a sport pilot license, which I believe... I've it's a little different from... Is, it, yeah, there right. are different classes, just like there are different classes of motorist licenses, there are different classes of uh, pilot licenses as well. Uh, right, and since a light sport aircraft is... I think you have visual sight rules on that one. So it's right. And it's small enough. It can only be a one or two seater, uh, Mm -hmm. just the pilot and up to one passenger, Um, you know, max weight of like 600 kilograms, which is 1,320 pounds Mm -hmm. and a a max speed of 120 knots, which is like 138 miles per hour or 222 kilometers per hour. So it's going relatively by the speed of planes slow. Right, right. Um, and so, in fact, so all you really need is a driver's license and a, uh, a, a this this sport pilot certification. Yes. You don't need the full medical thing where a doctor approved by the FAA comes out and says like, "Yes, you are mentally and physically fit to pilot." Right. You can be as unstable as you like as long as you don't, you Because know. the damage that you'll create if you <laughs> crash is relatively small. Well, the Parajet Skycar, its top speed is well within those parameters. It's at 115 miles per hour or about 185 kilometers per hour on the ground and in the air it's 55 miles per hour or 89 kilometers per hour. And that's not a big surprise. You're flying by parasail. It's not like <laughs> not like like you're got a turbojet. Right. Um, a gallon of gas will take it about 56.5 miles on the ground or 200 nautical miles in the sky. And it costs one hundred nineteen thousand dollars for a dune buggy, <laughs> which is high for a dune buggy, I'm sure, but is approximately average for light sport aircraft. Yeah, so this, when you think about it, this, this, uh, you know, first you say, "Oh, this is kind of a weird thing for people to spend money on," but it's actually something that has been used for first responders in oh, wow. disasters. They've used them to get medicine to remote locations because you can fly it and then land it and then drive over rough terrain because it's a dune buggy. It's a dune buggy. Yeah. So yeah, you can get to places that might need um, medical relief or other disaster relief, and it's actually become a useful tool. So while we kind of laugh about some of these designs because they're either impractical or they they're crazy extravagant. This one actually had a practical use. Uh, that's more than I can say for the PAL V1, which is a three-wheeled vehicle that converts into a gyrocopter. I, I don't know what you're talking about. I want one of these right now. Okay, so it looks like a... Uh, have you ever seen the Monotracer? You might not have. There's actually one in Atlanta, and I think they only ever made something like 70 of them in I, the world. I do not believe that I've seen one of these. Have you seen Tron? Yeah. <laughs> 
Do you know what the light cycle in Tron looks like? Okay. That's all right. That's a mono tracer. And if you just make a couple of adjustments, that's essentially what the PAL V1 looks like. But instead of two wheels, it's got three. It's got two in the back, one in the front. It handles like a motorcycle. And the uh, the gyrocopter rotor folds down and the tail folds in to make it a pretty compact vehicle. So when you decide that you want to go uh, flying around, you drive it over to an airport. You unfold the rotor and the tail. And then once the rotor gets going, it's self-propelling, really. It's a gyrocopter. We'll have to do a whole episode on how gyrocopters work. Absolutely. At one point. But uh, it can then do a, you know, a vertical takeoff because it's just like a, any other gyrocopter and you can fly it around. And this is where the blase attitude comes in. They say like, uh, you know, it's designed to fly around or below 4,000 feet, which is about 1,200 meters. Which, uh, that's under the visual flight rules traffic, meaning you don't have to have lots of, uh, instruments. You can, you can fly by sight. Uh, right. Uh, your cabin doesn't have to be pressurized right. at, at that, at that height. And you're not really going to be, uh, interfering with commercial yeah, and, air traffic. And they essentially say that, you know, at that height, the government doesn't really care. So have fun. That's essentially what the message is. I'm not, if that is accurate, I think that there's a problem. Yeah, I, no, it's kind of terrifying, really. It can reach top speeds of 112 miles per hour or 180 kilometers per hour on land or in the air. So, uh, yeah, terrifying no matter how you put it. But it looks awesome. I mean, the pictures and everything, the video is, is really, it's so a ton it's, of fun. So, so they have made prototypes oh, of this? Oh, no, these, have... these exist. Yeah. Ah. You know, you could get one of these. Uh, then there's the Aeromobile V2.5, which is another propeller-driven aircraft that also acts as a car. So really, plane first, car second. Uh, as a car, the wings for this aircraft fold back along the fuselage, so un- it's not detachable. They actually fold, mm-hmm. and uh, they create this kind of funky, elongated car body because the wings are – they're not necessarily short, so the whole car is a long car. And the very back of the car is also kind of funky. It has this sort of – uh, these tail fins that pop out of the back. So the tail of the, the aircraft, uh, think of it like a horizontal tail with two vertical tail fins that pop up. Directly under those tail fins are the rear wheels for the Aeromobile 2.5. So what you're saying is that if you drop your middle schooler off in this car, they're going to make, they're, they're, they're going to get a lot of wedgies. Possibly. They're either going to be told that they have the coolest parent ever or they're going to be ostracized for the rest of their lives. It's middle school. That's kind of how it goes. That is. It's so, true. I mean, you know, really, if it weren't that, it'd be something else. Um, there, This one has a double steering wheel, which I thought was really cool. The outer steering wheel is designed to drive the car. And the uh, inner steering wheel is designed to drive it when it's in the air. Oh, so it's a steering wheel, not a, not a joystick for right. the air travel. Exactly. Huh. And it's, you know, I guess to... To conserve space, they built two in one. Um, I don't, I haven't seen pictures of how this looks, so I don't know exactly, like, if the second one, the one in the middle, if it projects out a little bit. Mm-hmm. I would imagine it would have to, otherwise I can't, I can't see how you would be able to manipulate it. Yeah. But the description I thought was really interesting. And you just, you push a button to go into aircraft mode. And that makes the wings unfold and they lock into aircraft position. And you would have to do this at an airport. This is one of those, those, uh, cars where you would have to drive it to an airport, get on the, the landing strip, unfold the wings until they're locked into place. And then you could drive until you reach liftoff speed and take off. So you couldn't just do this on the street. That would be bad. <laughs> um, and it has a top speed of 124 miles per hour or 200 kilometers per hour when it's in airplane mode. 
and has a range of about 430 miles or 700 kilometers. And according to the designer, who is Stefan Klein, Stefan says that you can refuel this at any standard gas station, which suggests that it is actually using regular gasoline or diesel, one of the two. It's not using uh, any kind of airplane fuel. Uh, automotive fuel is becoming, for especially for these small sport craft, a more popular choice from what I've been reading. Right. Now, this one has not yet been certified by the government, but we imagine that it would probably fall under the same certification as other uh flying cars have under the light sport aircraft designation. So uh, this would also be another one where you would have to have that pilot license in order to operate it. The wingspan on this thing is 27 feet wide or 8.2 meters, which is why I say it's an aircraft first and a car second. Because, you know, at 27 feet, when you fold that back, that means that car has to be pretty long. It's It does not look like a car. Like you, you look at this and you think, I don't know what that is, but it's not a car. It, it sounds like not that many of these that we've been talking about would look like cars in any kind of yeah, this, car shape. I think sense. a lot of these would go to uh, amateur pilots who have a lot of income. Which <laughs> a lot is of income. Pretty, and... pretty typical of amateur pilots anyway, because it's expensive to be a pilot. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, but, you know, and, and there there is a problem of many of the public airports that you can land in. Once you land there, there's no public transportation that goes out of them. They're, yeah. they're too small to have even like a taxi stand or something like that. Right. So so you need to. It, it, and it can be a pain if, if you if you fly your plane somewhere and you want to immediately go elsewhere. Therefore, this, yeah. this yeah. thing that you could drive on the ground as well as in the air. Yeah, this could thing be that, useful. this thing that's more expensive than any other thing you could. Speaking of more expensive, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Actually, you have all right. So here's the granddaddy of flying cars. This is the one that's been in the news recently, right? Uh, yeah, the Terrafugia um, trans transition. Yes. Why do I always forget that word? It's, it's really it's a transition. It's it's kind of built for a purpose of transitioning from car, car to, to airplane. Airplane. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The the Terrafugia tagline is we are driven to fly which so apparently i wrote the tagline <laughs> is someone there is very like-minded to you that's that's cool with me that's terrifying um <laughs> uh the their their first model this transition has been in development for seven years as of 2013 flight testing finally occurred in 2012 um they they are taking pre-orders uh wow how much is it uh, two hundred seventy nine thousand dollars. Uh, I gotta check my account. <laughs> Which you know is high for a car. Um, it's actually really high for a plane as well. The but for most... a car that's also a plane, it's a steal. Seeing as how your choices are so limited, that's uh almost entire. I I think that every single one that we've talked about has has projected a lower price than yeah. this one. Yeah. Um. But okay. So so this is a this is a two seater street legal airplane that converts between driving mode and flying mode in supposedly under a minute and it's a it's a, another press a button it and does it for you kind of thing um yeah it, it would fit into a standard single car garage wow um has a full vehicle parachute in case anything terrible happens at above 500 feet very important yes and supposedly meets the federal motor vehicle stand safety standards that have been put forth by the uh uh National Highway Traffic and Safety Administration. So that's yeah, that's something else that we have to talk about. I mean, the fact that these vehicles have to meet two different sets of standards, right? They have to meet a certain set of standards by the FAA, 
and another one by uh, by the highway. You know, they have to be both safe as cars and safe as aircraft. And so. that is that is a lot of safety stuff to talk about, which I think is one of the reasons why it's none of so none long. of this has come out of prototype yeah, particularly yet. Right, right. Um, especially not for consumer purchase. Now, when would these things be available? Like, are we talking ten years? Uh, they've, they've, they haven't really projected a date that I've seen. Yeah. Uh, I saw someone saying that it might be in as few as two years, which means by 2015, theoretically, these things could be available. And again, because it would be a, a light sport aircraft, you would have to have a pilot's license to operate it. Right. So I assume you would also have to drive this thing out to an airport, just like some of the other ones we've talked about. Absolutely. That's, that's exactly the gig for this sort of thing. Um, well, that that means that it's not going to be something that's going to absolutely fill the skies as soon as it go- rolls off the production line. And no, this is also way more of a of a drivable aircraft than it is a flying flying car, car. right? Um, well, well, who's going to make a flying car, Lauren? I want my <laughs> flying car. Well, okay, you know this, this this thing is actually pretty clever. Um, the the engine is a is a very popular light sport aircraft engine. It's called a Rotax nine twelve IS. At least I assume that is that is precisely how you say that because <laughs> I don't know all that much about plane engines, as it turns out. Yeah, engine um, talk is a weird talk. <laughs> it really is. I mean, this this is an engine that's really being lauded for its fuel economy and has a whole lot of onboard computers to run all kinds of terrific diagnostics for you that that are going to read out in a way that's useful even if you're not an engineer. Oh cool. So so it's a so it's a pretty cool engine and uh they're they're talking about I mean okay when they say that it fits in a standard single car garage we're we're talking about a uh 78 inch or 2 meter tall vehicle uh with a 8 meter or 26 foot wingspan and a 6 meter or 19 foot length. Hmm. Um, if, if you want to compare that to say like a Camry, um, you're, you're talking about a little bit taller, about half meter, 58 inches. Uh, not, not half a meter, 1.5 meters. I was thinking half a meter shorter and then right. words didn't happen. That's significantly shorter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So it's shorter than uh, the Camry is shorter than the, the Camry is shorter. Uh, transition. But it's it's just about as long, like 189 inches or five meters long. Okay. All right, is is what you're talking. So, right. what's the wingspan on a Camry? Wingspan on a Camry zero. is zero. Yeah, <laughs> it's about 72 inches. <laughs> wow, man, I have been out of the car game for too long. Uh, but yeah, as it turns out, uh, you know, this is. This is another one of those uh, propeller-based um, aircraft, right? Right, it's- right. It's it's a rear propeller. Okay. And um and you you know what's what's interesting to me is that they're using this single engine to to go back and forth, you know, to 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 switch back and forth between powering the car and powering the plane. Yeah. Well, that's really cool that you've got this one engine that can do two very different jobs in the same vehicle. The fact that it's turning a propeller and then can switch to this other completely different drivetrain and control the car, you know, give the car the propulsion it needs to drive around. That's engineering feats like that that I think are really, really interesting. Even if the the vehicle itself is never a success commercially, the fact that that was an innovation is really cool. Yeah. So the question I have for you, Lauren, is anyone working on like a prototype that the average driver could use to fly around? Not someone who, you know, is trained as a pilot, but someone who with just maybe a couple of hours could figure out how to operate this thing. Okay. Well, strangely enough, that, that same company, Terrafugia, is working on the TFX, which is a four seat hybrid flying car. Oh, wow. 
Okay, so, and, and and part part of my problem with this, I'm going to say right off, is is that this could not qualify as a light sport vehicle. You would need an actual pilot license in order to drive this because it contains a because you can carry more than two people. Right, and so, it also, from what I understand, has not only uh, propellers which are used for vertical takeoff and landing. So, in other words, they they pivot, right? Right. Where they would pivot up, uh, and they the propellers themselves fold in on the pods that they are mounted on. So then the pods would move up to vertical position. The the uh, blades would fold out. They would start to rotate. You would gain altitude. They would then start tilting forward, so you'd start going forward. And then it switches over to, from what I understand, a 300-horsepower engine that provides thrust. Yeah, that, that Rotex I was talking about is like a hundred horsepower engine. Yeah. Which is a little bit more reasonable. I mean, it's going to take you up to that like hundred and twenty so mile per hour kind of range that we were talking about earlier that seems reasonable for your average driver to handle. Right. A 300 horsepower engine for cruising, it says. I guess what it means is that once you get up to a particular speed, this engine would, would switch over and you would move much faster. Now, the, Proposal, from what I understand, also involves lots of automation to the point where practically everything would be handled in the air by uh, auto, uh, you know, essentially autopilot. Uh, right. You know, to the, to the point that if the computer decides that a route that you've chosen is dangerous or that you are flying into um, uh, undesirable territory, mm-hmm. that it would declare an emergency to the authorities on your behalf. Right. And it would force you to go and land at an airport. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, this thing. But this thing, because it has the VTOL approach, means that theoretically you could take off from any location, not just an airport. So, uh, right. As long as you've got that level clearing of about 100 feet, which is some right. 30 meters. Right. So it's they, they are supposedly working on this. I They pretty much have this it's, just in concept drawings concept. and videos. Yeah. yeah. They've, they've got some shiny computer animations of it. They but, said that there would be something like eight or 12, eight to 12 years of testing before this would ever become an actual thing. So we are a good ways out from seeing this if it ever, in fact, becomes real reality. I think a lot of that's going to depend upon the success or failure of the transition. Um, if that ends up being a success, that makes it more likely that they'll be able to more, do more development on the TFX. I honestly don't know what to think about this. I, I, you know, granted, when I was a kid, I wouldn't have been able to imagine a car that could take you door to door. Uh, without you ever touching the wheel. And yet now we're starting to see cars in the prototype stage at uh, various companies uh, like Google and other and like actual car manufacturing companies, too. So we're starting to see that. So maybe it's possible. It just I think that flying is way more complicated than driving. Yeah, that's that's the thing. I mean, I, I really don't think that, you know, all of that autonomous car stuff is is complicated enough as it stands. Right. We just did a whole episode over on Forward Thinking about it, yeah. and so so check that out if you if you want to get a full breakdown of how difficult this problem really is. Mm-hmm. Although certainly, yeah, lots of companies are working on it, but I don't, you know, between that and the fact that so many regulations and and laws would have to be in place in right. order for this to be a reality. And all it and, would take is maybe one really bad publicity, like like accident, even if no one was hurt. Mm-hmm. That's all it would take for it to essentially ground everybody. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, 
And I, and I don't want to be doom and gloom about no. it because I think that especially these these drivable planes are a really interesting concept. And I really hope that a couple of these companies make some consumer level ones the right. next couple of years, even if, you know, two hundred and seventy nine thousand dollars is not something that this personal consumer <laughs> is ready to drop on anything. Right. Um, but but yeah, you know, it's it's that that single engine clever idea is is pretty awesome and yeah, and yeah. having something that lightweight that you that you're still comfortable driving is is pretty rad i yeah i am skeptical but hopeful let me put it that way like if it never happens i won't be surprised if it does happen i fully expect that you know for it to get cleared it's going to have to be the best of the best technology out there so hopefully we will see this within our lifetimes in that 10 to 40 year yes, magic period. Yes, 10 to 40 years, absolutely. Um, but, you know, if we don't, then I'm sure we'll figure out how to get around traffic some other way. Uh, anyway, that was uh, kind of our take on flying cars, the history of flying cars, where they stand now, whether or not we're going to actually see some. It's really just going to be a couple of years if the transition uh, holds true to the schedule that I've read about. Yeah, yeah. So. And and I think that in the next couple of years, we'll also see whether or not um, autonomous, you know, Vehicles, road driving yeah. cars are going to work out or not. Yeah, yeah. So. That's It's going to be exciting either way. So we'll, we'll find out. Meanwhile, if you guys have any suggestions for future topics that we can cover here on Tech Stuff, here's what I would like you to do. I would like you to open up your email client and then in the to field, type techstuff at discovery.com. Then type in your message in the actual message part and then sign it and then send it because then we will get it and we can incorporate that into our plans. Thank you for that highly technical description, Jonathan. Well, there are people who'd never they're like, how do I contact you? This is how you can also <laughs> let us know on Facebook, Twitter or Tumblr. We are out at all three. Our handle at all three is TechStuffHSW. So get in touch with us either way. Let us know what you think. Give us some suggestions for future episodes. We want to hear from you. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 